Built to Sell Radio with your host, John Warlow. So I'm selling my car, and last Sunday I had a guy take a test drive. And after the drive, he got out of the car and he said, you know, what do you want for the car? And of course, he knew what I wanted for the car because I'd published the price in the ad. And so I said, look, I want, you know, the price in the ad. That's why I priced it the way I did in the ad. And he said, oh, no, I mean, what do you really want for the car? And I said, I really want the price in the ad. By answering the question, what do I really want for the car, I, of course, would have been negotiating with myself. And it's really up to him as the buyer of the car to come to me with an offer that I can respond to. And the same is true when you're going to sell your company. You know, one of the questions you're going to get along the way from a prospective acquirer is, well, what do you want for it? What do you think is a fair price? I mean, how much would you part with the business for? All different ways of asking the same question. What do you want for your company? And it's not your job as an entrepreneur to answer that question. The buyer's job is to propose a price for you to react to. And the only thing you do by responding to that question is put a ceiling on top of which your business will never go in terms of its price. And you'll never know what they're willing to offer if you answer that question. And so my advice is don't answer the question. Let them come back to you with an offer. And it's a strategy that Eric Huberman wished he'd taken when he got an offer to buy his business. They had the negotiation and eventually got to the point of the buyer asking, well, what do you want for the business? Eric answered, and it's the one thing he wished he had done differently when it came to the sale of Swag of the Month Club. Here to tell you the rest of the story is Eric Huberman himself. Eric, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So we're going to dig in and talk a little bit about this company, Swag of the Month. I'm dying to know what you guys did, given the name. I'd love to t- learn, tell me a little bit about what you guys sold. Sure. So uh, in a nutshell, we just we had a lot of friends that had t-shirt companies, and we're trying to. It was a partner and I, and we were trying to figure out a better way to sell t-shirts. We knew guys didn't like to shop. This was long before subscription e-commerce got big, and uh, we basically uh, decided that you know we wanted to. Um, sorry, we just got interrupted. Uh, we wanted to, um, basically we wanted to create something where people, where guys didn't have to shop. So what we did was created this quiz that guys could come in, fill out what they like to wear. And then every month we would send them a shirt that fit their style. So we worked with all major t-shirt brands from Ruka, Billabong, Quicksilver, as well as tons of startup t-shirt brands to get them on the backs of people that would appreciate those shirts. So you had this little wizard that people would go through. What were some of the questions you asked? Uh, honestly, it was, we started with very specific questions. And since the audience here is business minded, it's, uh, this could be helpful is we started with like, what color, you know, what colors did you like? What, uh, style shirts, you know, do you like V-neck crew neck? And it got so specific. Sometimes it became a problem that we were getting, you know, people would say, I only want a purple shirt in a V-neck, which then we'd send them a purple V-neck every month. And we didn't necessarily have that supply, nor did we want to send someone the same shirt every month to get forward. So then we changed the questions actually pretty quickly in the business to be things more like, what do you like to do when you go out? Do you like to go to a bar or a club? Do you like at a barbecue? Would you are you more likely to wear a dress shirt or a T-shirt? Or, you know, when it comes to music, what do you listen to? So we got the idea of who the person was. And then we created an algorithm that kind of told us what kind of T-shirts they would wear that turned out to work really well, kind of twofold. It was, you know, not only did we actually do a pretty good job of nailing the type of person based on the 13 questions we had, we even but we uh, also 
by people answering these questions, it was less specific. They'd assume they should be wearing that shirt and almost took our word for it. And that's kind of how it ended up going. It was like we built confidence that we knew what we were doing. And therefore, people just took what we gave them, you know, and went, yeah, looks great kind of thing. Give me the timeline from when you started to when you sold. How many years? It was a year and a half. Fantastic. So you literally got startup to year and a half, and then give me a proxy for how big the company got in, in eighteen months in terms of either you know revenue or number of employees or any it, just a proxy for size. Yeah, we had a. It was tiny. It was like five employees. Uh, customer wise, it was you know we we're mid thousands. It wasn't. It wasn't a very. We didn't get very big. We just what we did build was a very large brand in that time. We got every single major men's publication was talking about us because shoe dazzle was just getting popular in Beachmint, but there was no dollar shave club. There was no guys subscription company. And so we were able to ride that and grow our brand very big, very quickly and get the eyes of partners and acquirers very quickly that were seeing a quick leg into that space. So lots of exciting things in 18 months, lots of media coverage. I mean, why did you want to sell? You know, it it was really a scaling thing. So this was my, you know, second venture, but really we bootstrapped it. We tried to grow it organically. And what we found was we got to a point where scaling was an issue. It was a point where we were working day and night um, and we weren't quite making enough money, uh, bottom line, to go hire people. Like we could have pulled money out of marketing to hire people, but we didn't want to slow down the growth either. And so it was just a cash flow issue that was we were struggling with and so it was either honestly we were at a point where it was we had to either sell uh raise money or honestly figure out something else because it was one of those things where like i think we were sleeping four hours a night both of us because even with the few employees we had we there was not enough time in the day to send that many t-shirts out and pick them out and buy them and then handle growth and marketing and the website it was just too many things going on at once and not enough money to deal with it all is really what's happening. In retrospect, I mean, was the was the model flawed in the sense that there wasn't enough money to self-finance your growth? I mean, hindsight being 2020, was there something flawed at, in the model? I would say yes. Um, you know, there's definitely companies that, you know, you can't be profitable until a certain scale that need financing. And I understand that from firsthand. Like, that is why so many companies raise money. If every company could start without capital, then, you know, you wouldn't have a whole this entire venture capital ecosystem. So uh, I do believe that, I don't know that it, I would say flawed, though I don't like starting companies that require capital, you know, require that level of capital to get to break even, so to speak. I don't like that model as much, but it's, it's kind of a necessary when it comes to product companies, just because you need that cash for merchandise and marketing and you don't get to a certain enough, you know, you have to start selling enough things before you can start scaling. And the problem was there is enough, there were enough jobs to do early on before that scale that not you know that we would have not not we would have broken even you know let's say a little bit past that probably but we needed to get there and it you know that process even a few more months of working like we were working wasn't just, was just not sustainable and that was part of it so tell me about the way cash moved through the business so uh, walk me through you know the customer pays when they order and then how soon after that are you buying the the purple V-neck T-shirts from the vendor and how soon after that do you have to actually pay that invoice. Oh, uh, it was immediate. I mean, we weren't, we weren't, we had no, again, no financing and no history of work. We didn't really get many terms. A few companies allowed us terms just because it was small orders and they didn't really worry about it, but we weren't giving, being granted many terms. So it was pretty much instant. We would get an order. We would, we had enough relationships where we could find shirts pretty quick and then we'd go get them. And, you know, it was 
half, you know, not half, but I'd say we had about 60% margin. So a lot of the money was out pretty quick. And then we had to pay our rent. We had to pay the employees. We had to pay, you know, the marketing costs that we were going on, you know, hosting costs, all the other expenses of running an online business that, there, you know, even at 5,000, 6,000, whatever it was, uh, subscribers, it wasn't enough money to just cover every to cover everything, you know, completely. Got it. So take me through the process of selling the company itself. Did you take it to market? Did someone approach you? Someone approached us. It was actually about the most bizarre sale. And I've been around and involved with other sales of companies since. Um, and this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. Um, we had a number in mind that, frankly, you know, covered all the investment debt, et cetera, that we had gotten into starting it as well as gave us a little bit. Um, it, again, I, you know, emphasize, as we talked about before, it wasn't anything life changing. This wasn't like time to retire money. And I was also young. Um, I sold it at, how old was I when I sold it? I think it was 24, no, I was 26 when I sold it. And, uh, or sorry, 20, yeah, 26. And um, I just turned 26 and it was enough to like, I'd spent four years in two startups, you know, gets you in a decent amount of debt as well as the money we owed for like the little bit of money we borrowed for the company, et cetera. Like it was a nice way to just be like, reset. We learned a lot. We did something really cool. We got a little bit of money out of it. Plus we paid the bills for a year and a half because we did pull a small paycheck. So it was, you know, one of those things that it was, we took it as the education side of it, as well as some money, as well as the credibility and connections we made out of it was just, then that was what trumped everything. And what came from selling that was worth the sale. The actual sale wasn't really worth it. But what ended up happening to answer your question is uh, a buyer came in and basically said, I want to, they had a e-commerce holding company with a few e-commerce companies doing well. And they said that this was a great compliment to what they were doing. And they wanted to buy it by the customer base. They wanted to change the name and do a bunch of stuff with it. Uh, they asked us what we wanted. We threw out a number and that was the one thing I learned. I went too low and, uh, definitely, I mean, again, we got a decent amount of money, but we could have gone a lot higher. So yeah, we got, we got, they literally wrote a check on the spot. We, we had already done a lot of business with them. So they trusted us. So it was a really easy transition. They asked us just to basically be available, you know, on a light level if they needed help, but they were just going to take it over because they had the operation and they just needed a few transition questions and things. Got it. So, so they came to you and said, what do you want for the business? And, and you had a number in mind? Yeah, it was, again, it was basically like, let's make a little bit of money and, uh, let's make a little bit of money off this and pay everything else off so that we're, it's almost again, like a reset. Like we're not, you know, we're not just giving away the farm, but we're not, you know, going too high because again, the business was far from profitable and we, you know, we, we needed to make something work. And this, would you, so this company you had done business with before, maybe you could describe how you, how, what the context around your previous relationship was. Well, again, company that was cash flowing very low, we didn't hesitate to take a couple of consulting gigs on the side. So we had consulted for their growth as well as just all remain friends because they had a non-competitive e-commerce business and that's why this worked out so well was we complemented their business so well. Got it. So they said, what do you want? You gave them a number and sort of the rest was history. What, what was the diligence like? I mean, was that a, a long, arduous process or, or not? Not in this situation. And I'd love to be able to give more uh, insight to that. But this situation, they knew our business. It was, they knew it really well. We gave them access to all the numbers. They saw, like, it was like, we spent, I mean, we spent an afternoon together talking through everything and they literally wrote a check for full on the spot and we went, <laughs> went home and cashed it. 
it was that was the process. There was literally not even a contract written because again, there was a there was an innate trust that we had known each other a long time. They knew that we weren't going to do anything. They weren't worried about it, and so we just were able to make it really easy. It wasn't a financial investment. It was a strategic where they wanted this because again, they had a huge customer base. I mean, massive, massive customer base that they could just plug this right into. And actually, what ended up happening was I think they quadrupled our the revenue month two of taking it over and got overwhelmed by the influx because it was such an easy offering to them. How do you feel in retrospect, having having done the deal? You mentioned that you might not have thrown out a price if you had it to do over again. What other sort of feelings, emotions do you have about it as you reflect back on it now? So I'm very happy where I ended up. So I won't say that I regret it, but I do think that that company had a lot more potential if we had known more. You know, it was one of those things where it was, you know, really learned a lot running it, but did not know a lot and did not have a lot of contacts with people that could guide us. So between my partner and I, we were pretty much guessing at everything and some stuff worked. But if we had known better, we would have known that, you know, we needed financing. We would have made those relationships. We would have known that, you know, kind of the pitfalls ahead of time. You know, it's one of those things like similar to how my business works now, where there's plenty of people out there that can guide you uh, around the typical mistakes that you can skip those and just focus on the things that make businesses hard to start. I mean, there's going to be enough problems without mistakes you could have avoided. And I think we made a lot of mistakes that could have easily been avoided if we had known better. Like what? What would have been the biggest mistake you'd do differently? Again, the biggest mistake is financing. We would have easily been able to, uh, we should have been, we should have raised money and figured out the venture capital version side of this, because again, there were companies all around us that were a lot worse models and just dumber ideas than ours that were showing way worse metrics that were raising like crazy. But neither of us had any insight or contact into that world. And I could have focused more time getting in there and figuring it out. What was, what was it like leaving uh, the business, passing it over? I mean, did you talk to family and friends and say, I just sold the business? I mean, was that a, was that a, was that a, an attaboy high five moment or, or how did that work? Honestly, in this situation, it wasn't. I kept it pretty close. Um, first off, we were requested not to say anything for a couple months. So uh, that was part of the deal was do not ever talk about what we actually got for it. And um, do not, you know, for at least a couple months, don't say anything, period. So by the time it was like that agreement was, uh, was done, um, then we were already actually helping operate a company at Science the Incubator that launched like Dollar Shave Club. They had pulled me in as a consultant for about for some of those companies and how to do their acquisition marketing. And then we ended up helping launch one that was doing very well within two months. So we had already moved on when it was time to talk about it. And so we were focused on other things. So what are you doing now? So now I run a company called Hawk Media. Basically, we're an outsourced CMO and marketing team to a lot of brands. So what we do is we go in, look at what a company's doing. And then we have all the vertical expertise to run a digital business from Facebook ads and email marketing to web design, influencer marketing, all of the like marketing sides of the business, as well as contacts to run the rest, whether it's HR, finance, et cetera. So we'll go into any business that either wants to get online or already is. And everything we do is a la carte. Everything's month to month. And we'll figure out how to, you know, what they're missing and how we can complement that, basically. And where do people reach here? Uh, best way is email Eric E R I K at hawkmedia.com and hawk is H A W K E media.com. Eric Huberman, thanks for joining us. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at facebook.com slash built to sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. Thanks for listening.